All right, so we are in uh, the final week of our series on the core practices. Uh, We spent five weeks uh, before the summer going through the first five, and now we are on our 10th practice, wrapping it up today. And uh, so this has been just a, a great opportunity for us to go through and talk about what it means to act like Jesus, that First of all, if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to think like Jesus. So we went through the core beliefs. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we also have to act like Jesus. And so we've been going through these practices or disciplines, as you might have heard them called, uh, in an effort to be more like Jesus. Next week, we're going to start on 10 weeks going through the fruit of the Spirit. So next week, we're getting into the fruit of the spirits, which really look at the core virtues of what would be reflected in the Christian life, what it would look like to be like Jesus. So we're going to start that uh, next week. But for today, to get things started, we are going to watch a short video clip now. Suppose there was a group who set out for a fishing trip. The group was led by a guide who they trusted would lead them to fish. fish He led them to water, but the group became full of excuses for why they couldn't fish. Some people came on the trip dressed the part and full of great fishing stories, but never seemed to do anything. Some claimed they did not have the heart for fishing. I can't fish. Hooking a worm? It's just too cruel. Do you know it's a rubber worm, right? Some said the work should be left to those who were more skilled in the art of fishing. Carl, he's really good at casting. Shouldn't he be doing all the fishing? No, no, you can do it. It's really simple. Look, some claim that fishing was not their gift. Hey, uh, uh, fishing's really not my thing. In fact, it scored a zero on my spiritual gifts test, so... No, we could still really use your Before the guide could finish, Carl interrupted him. I think I got one! Hey, great! Mind helping out with some of the others? No, it's okay. Carl was more impressed with catching fish on his own than he was in helping people out, like Greg here. I got a small problem here. My line's a little tangled up. Oh, my goodness. How in the world did that... Some of the people fishing said they just didn't have time to fish. Matt, where are you going? Oh, yeah. I I have an appointment. Um, It's a thing that's going around... It's okay, I got a stick. It's doing great. It's great. Whoa. Oops. And some people, well, they just had problems. Hey, uh, my hook's caught on something. What's it caught on? If everyone did their part, imagine the fish that could be caught. All right, so let me ask you a couple questions. The first question is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to a relationship with God and entrance into the kingdom? Do you believe that? Second question, do you believe that there is unlimited room for all who believe? Yes. Okay, so we've got these two fundamental beliefs that we talked about back in January, right? We talked about these, these core beliefs of, of what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about salvation. And if we are to answer these questions with a yes, which I think most of us are answering these questions with a yes, then shouldn't that be an incredible motivation for us to want to share that 
good news with others. Like if we really believe that, would that not impact the conversations that we have and, and, and the desire to share with others? For all of us, we have someone in our past or some ones in our past that first shared with us the story of Jesus. We were first introduced to Jesus by somebody. It could have been a Sunday school teacher. It could have been a parent. It could have been a co-worker. It could have been a neighbor. Uh, some of us were reintroduced to Jesus because we really moved away from Jesus in some way. And so I want you to think right now, who is that person that really influenced and introduced you to Jesus? Do you have a picture of that person right now? Think about who that was for you. Now, what if that person had not taken the initiative, had the courage, had the foresight to actually speak up and share that story with you? What would the course of your life look like right now if that person had not stepped up and shared their faith? So today we are looking at this final practice, and the final practice is sharing my faith. Now, this is one uh, that, that we're going to expand on a little bit today. It's uh, one that is challenging, one that's difficult, since all the other ones up to this point have been so easy, right? And so we're looking at sharing our faith. And there's a few principles we're going to talk through today. The first one is God calls us to share our faith. This is something that God has called us to. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations. That requires us to do something, right? So we are called by God to do this. And like the parable suggested, this is not something that is delegated to some professional. It's not delegated to some other committee or some other group. This is something that all of us as followers and believers of Jesus are called into. We are all called to share our faith. Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, describes this being reconciled to Christ. That, that, that we're reconciled in relationship with God through Christ, and it's because of this reconciliation that we have a new calling on our life, a new responsibility, a new job, a new ministry. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God has, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Paul is describing the situation here where we are reconciled to God through Jesus. And because of that reconciliation, because that relationship is now made new and now made whole, we are given a new job. We're given a new ministry. Ministry is a calling that is on all of our lives. It may not be a full-time vocation as it is for me, but ministry of reconciliation is something that we are all called into as followers of Jesus. 
It does not have to be your vocation, but it is your calling. It is your ministry. We're called into that. And I think it is just incredible to see here that God is wanting to bring people into a relationship with him. He's pursuing people. And of all things, he wants to use you to be the messenger of that. He wants you to be the ambassador for Christ. Now, the ambassador does not have their own kingdom. The ambassador does not have their own agenda. The ambassador does not have their own thing to to do. They are representing the one that they're called to represent. That we are representatives of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ, called to share our faith with others. To share this reconciliation with God that Christ gives us. And so the question becomes, how do I share my faith? Because for many of us, this is a practice that is scary. It's a practice that is nerve-wracking, especially for those that are on the more introverted side of the spectrum. We think about sharing our faith, and that is just like this daunting thing. Like, there are so many other things I would much rather be doing than sharing my faith. The fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of dying. That means for many of you, you would much rather die than do what I'm doing right now. Like, death is more appealing. And I think sharing our faith falls into one of those categories, right? Where, where we look at sharing our faith, and it's, it, it may not be doing it up on stage in front of people, but it is sharing something with other people, with strangers, with people that you may not know, or, or whatever connections you might, might think of in sharing your faith. And it's this scary proposition, especially if you grew up in some place where evangelism equaled door-knocking, because that just terrifies me. Like there's, yeah, there's like two things that terrify me, like middle school birthday parties and door knocking. <laughs> and so like these are two things that I really don't want to engage in very well, right? And so we look at sharing our faith in a much broader term. And especially for those introverts in the room, you don't have to think about evangelism equaling masses and masses of people trying to to convince as many people as possible that they need to be baptized. And so we need to take some of the fear out of it. Now, I believe that fear, whether it's fear of public speaking or fear of sharing our faith, I think that fear is completely from the enemy. Because I do not believe that we were created to live in fear. I believe that we were created to live boldly and confidently and fearlessly. And so if you are afraid of something, I would encourage you to identify what that fear is and rebuke that fear and fight against that fear. So if we are fearful of sharing our faith, that is the enemy at work. And we need to go at battle with the enemy on creating this fear in us. Because for most of us, that fear is winning. That fear is winning, and it is keeping us from doing the things that God has called us to do. 
It doesn't have to be something that's feared. And so we look at the example of the early church and how they shared their faith. And so we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Acts 2, 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there is this massive evangelistic outreach going on. And people are coming to Jesus day after day after day. People are coming to know him. Why is that? What great door-knocking campaign did they implement? And so we look a few verses earlier, and we look at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They did not devote themselves to evangelism. They did not devote themselves to sharing their faith. They devoted themselves to living their faith. It was in the living of their faith and the example of their faith that was so contagious that people couldn't help but want to be a part of it. That it was Jesus working through them that created the impact. And so this gives us our second principle. Living your faith is the best way to share your faith. That being a disciple of Jesus is not about going through a certain program. Being a disciple of Jesus is a way of being. It's a lifestyle that we have. And it is all of our life that is a testimony to what God is doing in us and through us. And so our lives become the testimony to share our faith. The biggest attraction to Jesus is when his people authentically live for him. Authentically living the life that he has called them to. It is in that that people will see that and identify God. And that's where faith is shared. And so as a church, this really calls us to really be intentional about what it means to be a disciple. That our discipleship has got to be of first priority. Because it is in us being disciples that people see God. And so this is why our discipleship program is so important. That we have to become progressively more and more like Jesus. People are attracted to that. People are attracted to what Jesus is doing in our lives. When you become more like Jesus, people see that. People catch on to that. And so that is why, as a church, it is our mission to be making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. It's about being disciples. It's not about implementing a program. It's not about checking certain boxes. It's not about going through a certain list or certain points. It's about being like Jesus. We're being disciples. And so there's lots of different ways that we're, do, we're doing that. There's lots of ways that we're currently working at doing that. We've got this whole campus redevelopment program that is, it is about getting our facilities in a position where we can be discipling more people our children's program and our youth programs are, are making uh, efforts to raise the next generation of disciples, to raise kids to know 
Jesus. It's why we partner with things like ACS here in our building, because they're about raising children into a Christian worldview. And this is why we do the things that we do outside of Sunday morning. It's why we, we do things down the hall with the children. It's why we invest in youth programs, because we want to be helping our children inherit our faith. What greater place to start with sharing our faith than with our children? And so we've got lots of things that we're working on. We've got a couple different projects. Right now we've got a team that is gathering together to come up with a curriculum plan that will go from birth to adult to help us in this discipleship effort. And so we'll be rolling that out more in the next few weeks, and we'll be launching some of that in January, where we're really rethinking our curriculum for children, for youth, and for adults in our Sunday school program, so that we're intentionally thinking about what it means to be discipling one another. And then we're also working on a new app that we're going to have uh, released out later this year where we can have resources for parents, resources for grandparents, resources for mentors to be able to invest in kids and have conversations about what they're talking about on Sunday mornings and to, to be able to engage in faith conversations. This is part of sharing our faith. And so sharing our faith is in part the way that we live, but it cannot be limited to the way we live. We also have to actually say something. We have to speak. We have to share our story. And so our third thing is God is calling us to speak up about your faith when the time is right. It's not just about living the life. We've got to speak the faith that we have. We've got to speak it to our children. We've got to speak it to our friends. We've got to speak it to our neighbors. We've got to speak it to our co-workers, knowing that God will use the things that we say to impact them. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's this story of Naaman. And Naaman is the commander of the army of Aram. And this is a kingdom that is north of Israel. They are not followers of Yahweh. And Naaman discovers that he has the horrible disease of leprosy. Now, this is just an earth-shattering thing for him. This is a disease that you cannot recover from. And so he's left as the commander of this army to, to wonder what's next for him. In one of their raids, they kidnap this young girl and take this young girl with them, and, and she is given to Naaman's wife as a slave. And so there is this young girl who is in the service of Naaman's household. Put yourself in her shoes. How terrifying is that? To be ripped away from your home and placed into another place as a slave. Is your fear of public speaking worse than that? What fear she must have had. But this girl, she speaks up when the time is right. Naaman finds himself in crisis. And when you are in crisis, that is often the time that you are listening the most. You're in a moment of crisis. The world is falling out from underneath you. And that's the time that you're listening. And she speaks up. She says this to her mistress. She says, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, 
he would cure him of his leprosy. So she is sharing her testimony. She is sharing the truth that she knows, saying that she knows this prophet Elisha. And this prophet Elisha, I know that he can cure you of what you have. I'm confident that he is a healer. And so imagine this girl in this situation where she is fearful and uncertain, but she speaks confidently anyway. And so Naaman gets permission to go to to Israel, and the king sends a letter ahead of them. And the king sends the letter to the king of Israel, and the king says this, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back my wife, or back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So the king thinks it's a trap from the other king, right? Hey, kill my lead commander. Oh, you can't do that? Now we're going to go to war. This is what the king is thinking, right? This is a trap. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha steps in and says, I'm going to take care of this. Send him to me. And so Naaman goes to Israel. He goes before, or he goes there, and then Elisha sends his servants. Elisha doesn't even show up to talk to him. He sends his servants and tells him to bathe seven times in the Jordan. Now, to Naaman, this sounds like an absolutely ridiculous plan. I'm going to go bathe in the Jordan. Are not my homeland waters so much better than the waters here? Why would I go bathe here? It's not going to do any good. And the servants speak up again. And they say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And so the, the servants are saying, what do you have to lose? If the prophet would have called you to some grand thing, then you would have done it. But he's calling you to this weird, simple thing, and you won't even do it. What do you have to lose? Go get in the Jordan seven times and do what the guy said. Maybe you'll be healed. And so he humbles himself. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And so Naaman humbles himself, which is a key part to accepting the message of God, right? That we have to humble ourselves. And on the seventh bath, he comes out healed. And he makes this declaration. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please, accept a gift from your servant. So Naaman now knows there is one true God. Because one servant girl who was terrified spoke up and shared the good news and shared this message of faith and shared this message of hope. Now, we are not the ones that heal. We are not the ones that save. But we are ambassadors for the one that heals and the one that saves. And in the sharing of our stories and the sharing of our faith, people are introduced to that. 
and they're able to meet the one who heals and meet the one who saves. So there are lots of stories that are like this. These are things that don't just happen in the Bible. These are things that happen today where people boldly share their faith and aren't afraid to speak up and talk. And so I've asked um, Bill and Donna to come up and share with us this morning. I want to hear a little bit of their story. If I can get a couple microphones ready over here. Just to hear their story of, of them coming to faith, but also their boldness in sharing their faith as well. So if you guys want to come on up. Thank you, Jason. I think that's just the message we all need today. And uh, Donna's going to start us with a prayer. I'd like for you to just close your eyes right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this family of God. Thank you for each person in this audience this morning. Some of you I've known for such a long time, and you know our story. Others don't. Father, thank you for your goodness to allow Bill and I to be partners in marriage with our children, raising them, and Father, to share the wonderful story that you gave us to help others know how good you are, Father. I ask for you to be with us this morning and fill us with the Holy Spirit, Father, so that we will be ambassadors for you, Father, that we will do what you want us to do. But we won't do it alone because we can do nothing without you, Father. So thank you for these opportunities and thank you for what your son did on the cross for us, Father. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So my story today will be about my increasing faith and how that allowed me to increase my sharing with others. And God will do the work. There's a synergy that occurs when two people work together for a common purpose. I believe that's why Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. Today, Jason talked to us about sharing our faith in the hope that... Um, he would encourage each one of us to share our faith with others. And I thought his message was wonderful. Our baptism 27 years ago marks our decision to start following God in our life journey together, which has led up to our getting to know God and experiencing him in an intimate and personal way. According to the Spiritual Disciplines Survey, my uh, number one spiritual gift is faith. I believe faith is what gives us the strength 
and the desire to share our testimonies when we go out into the world and try to make disciples. This chance to speak to you has caused me to reflect on my own faith story. God has given each of us a story. He's given you a story. Today I encourage you to reflect on your own story and uh, consider what God wants you to do with it. <clears throat> if you graph my faith over time, it would be, let's see, how does that chart look? Increasing. It would be increasing over time, but it'd be a little bit like the days of our lives or our economy. There are lots of peaks and valleys in that uh, chart. But more notably to me, not just the faith increasing or decreasing was my willingness to share my faith with others. I, um, <clears throat> I'd like to think for you to think about how your faith has changed over the years and times where you had opportunities to share it and you might not have um, and what you might do in the future. 26 years ago, Donna and I were uh, separated for about a year, but because of a few people here in Montgomery and, and God's intervention, we were reconciled and reunited. As a result, we met uh, new Christian friends, we got a new family, and we developed lasting and loving relationships with them. We worshiped, fellowshiped, studied, and became part of a community and uh, were blessed by God uh, during this period. But even then, I still hesitated to share my story, my good news with my old friends. I, I never prayed with them or I never prayed for other people. I was worried about being a hypocrite early in my life, uh, early in my walk. How could I witness to others about God with all those sins in my past? But when you believe and you're given an opportunity, the Holy Spirit will give you the right words. And God has given you a story to help you share your faith every time. Yield to that spirit. Don't be afraid of others' judgment because theirs is not the judgment that matters. Once Donna and I taught a 12-week marriage seminar to a dozen couples. We all successfully completed the course because we learned to pray together, to forgive each other, to share with each other, and to work together for that common purpose. Our faith in God was increased and, uh, and rewarded, and love blossomed. We had some fun in it, too. We did have some fun. <laughs> when I was nominated to be an elder, each of us had to answer a lot of questions about our lives, being totally honest and transparent about the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was extremely difficult for me to bear my soul in writing to everyone in this church. I was tormented, and I almost didn't apply Lee, you'll remember, I brought my application in at the very last minute. <laughs> I think you'll remember. Um, 
but it was embarrassing. And sharing my story publicly um, was, like I said, was tough. It, ooh, try it sometime. Um, but being an elder tested my faith and was instrumental in increasing both of our faith. So remember, this is a story of our increasing faith. And results that happened along the way were just amazing to me. The baptisms that we've done, the people that we've helped, um, is, is all what was God's purpose for us. In 2010, my grandson Brody uh, was born, and he was sick. We didn't know it. His Aunt Tricia noticed something wasn't quite right as we were leaving the hospital and insisted that uh, he stay. Well, Brody spent the next week in the infant intensive care unit with three IV needles in his head. And uh, it, it was a period where I prayed more fervently than I have ever prayed before. I prayed for him to be healed. I prayed for the nurses and doctors to be blessed in their diagnosis. I wanted them to make all the right decisions. And then it came to me after several days of this, kind of in a flash, that I'm, I'm not praying for the right things. I need to pray for faith, for faith that God will heal Brody. And so I started praying for faith. And Brody was healed. And uh, Brody's full of life and great fun. And he's so smart. And uh, I, I get to be his gramps. I get to play with him. And um, that was, I believe, one of the blessings that God bestowed on us because of our increasing faith. Brody's beyond what I ever prayed for. Donna, you're supposed to say... He's a doting grandfather, but I'm the uh, doting grandmother also. We love him so much. God is good. God is good all the time. All, all the, the time. time. God, God is, is good. good. And then I had a heart attack in Kauai the next year. Uh, I survived. Right? But I reevaluated everything in my spiritual walk at that time, and I knew that God had even greater purposes for me than I had ever imagined or envisioned. A second chance. He gave me a second chance again. And uh, I was overwhelmed by his love and by the love of others. My faith in God was at an all-time high. And... I noticed in the years since then that I have baptized more people than I ever thought I would. My original goals were just baptize one, right? Uh -uh. Or maybe two, but um, I've baptized many and helped many others. And I believe that's because uh, I share myself, I share my love, I am more caring, I am paying more attention to what God is telling me. I'm a better listener. I'm a better um, Christian and a better disciple. I'm still working on one of my best friends, but I may only be the one that plants the seeds. And I remember, God does all the work. I love people of every race and every color 
I love people. I love to talk to people. I like to get to know people. I want to know a lot about people. I met two people, two different families, just this morning. And Rose, I didn't, Rose, where are you? I met you this morning. Can you stand up for us? Because I want others to know you too. Is she in the audience? Well, Rose, I've got to get to know. She has the biggest smile that I've ever seen, and she just looks like a woman that I would really, really like to know. And so I hope we have that chance. The other two people I met this morning are in the audience, and I hope you will stand up and not be embarrassed, but I want you to meet Markham and Adrian. Will you stand up, please? Now, Markham, Markham and Adrian Reed. Adrian actually had come to Montgomery as a child, but they've not lived here for a while. And they are looking for a church home. And I hope you will choose us when you choose. But I want you to know that there was a lot of transparency this morning when I met Markham, he shared his story with me right away. Can you believe that? It's wonderful when we are so transparent that we can be loving and kind and be listeners and have mercy and care about God's humanity. He created every single one of us. He loves us. He wants us to be his children. We're worthy to be his children. Even if we are sinners, he wants us to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us so that we could be his children. There's no cost to be his children except to accept him as our savior. He loves us. And he wants us to share the good news. So Jason said the right words this morning. He wants us to be strong and courageous. He wants us to step out of this little world, this little bubble that we live in. We know we all love each other here in this congregation. We're family. But what about those who walk in this church building and don't know anyone. We should be treating them with the kindest and the most welcoming way that we can do. They have been the courageous ones. They've walked into our building. 
What's wrong with us? We need to understand that. So I know God didn't give you a spirit of timidity. But you have to believe that the Holy Spirit really does dwell in your body, in your heart. He dwells there for a purpose. You know, I look at a crowd, and I might not know that person, but I see something. I see something that sparks something in me. And when it sparks that in me, it is a little nudge, I think, from the Holy Spirit. It's a little nudge. And it causes me to go and introduce myself to that person and get to know them a little bit. Look for the signs because they're there. They're there. Let your heart be open to that. Don't be fearful. Just do it. One of the things that Jesus did, and he is the example for me, he is everything to me. Jesus loved to sit down at a meal with the family. Bill and I often have people into our home. They come to our house. We're not afraid. We invite them in. How are we going to show them a different way of life if you don't invite them in? At Easter, it's our biggest party. We invite everyone that we have taught in a class or have baptized. They're invited to our meal. And Mike Jones has been with us on those occasions with his wife. And we have a wonderful gathering. The kids come, they're crazy. We have a big Easter egg hunt in the back of our yard. There are kids running all over the place. And, but it is just wonderful. These are people who have come bravely into our midst and become one of us. And we make them our family. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. Sometimes I make mistakes. But my job is not to judge. I must tell you that both Bill and I have taken the spiritual works um, discipline sur uh, survey. And I have to just tell you what my um, gifts are. My number one in both of these areas are faith and evangelism. It's a gift. I didn't go to school to learn anything for this. I didn't, um, I'm certainly not an academic kind of teacher of any kind. But those are my gifts, faith and evangelism. My, my, my second gifts were mercy and hospitality. 
I believe that I'm doing what God has given me, gifts to use so that we can bring more to his kingdom. And I love Jason and Laura so much. I've had an opportunity to really get to know them by being in a small group with them. The hours, the planning, the attention to detail. We have the best here. We have the very best here. Yes, yes. We have the best. We are good. And God is even better all the time. God is good. Say this with me. All the time, God is good. God is good all the time. I love you all. Thank you. So that's, that's where I get my synergy. <laughs> wow. So God calls us to share our faith. He calls us uh, to be living our faith. And, and living out our faith is, is one of the best ways that we can share our faith. But he also calls us to share our stories. And we need to be prepared to share our stories. And so that handout that you have is your homework. Yes, you have a homework assignment. Uh, you need to take that with you, and you need to prayerfully work on developing your story. Because we all know our story, right? We lived it. Most of us still have the memory to, to, to know our story, but, but have you prepared to actually be able to share it? I think that's where a lot of us fall short. We get to this point where, where we're not prepared. So how can you share your story in five minutes? That's what this worksheet is for you to use. It's to help you prepare to be able to think about how you can share your story in five minutes. So, so work through that. Answer those four questions. Or write it out, just a few sentences for each one. And then work on developing a five-minute way of telling your story. The great thing about sharing your story is it's your story and no one can argue with it. It's not about having the right facts. It's not about having the right answers. It's the reality of your story, and you can share your story with others, um, and, we can, and we can do that without fear, but it's going to take some preparation. So let's go ahead and be standing. I want us to read this verse together as we conclude. This is a prayer, uh, that, uh, a prayer request that Paul has. Now, Paul is a really timid nobody who doesn't preach, right? No, Paul is this incredible apostle who does incredible things. And this is his prayer, and this needs to be our prayer as well. It says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's make that our prayer today. Pray that we can make this, fear, declare it fearlessly, that we can declare our story, we can declare our faith fearlessly to others. We're going to have a time of prayer now, a time for us to pray for one another, a time for us to encourage one another. Uh, this is a time for us to share with one another. 
uh, as we, we sing. Let's, let's pray now. God, we thank you for, for all the things that you do for us. God, as you speak to us, as you encourage us, help us to be ones that will share our faith. For those of us who have not declared our faith yet, God, I pray that we will uh, be bold and, and declare our faith. God, God, if there are those who have not declared their faith ever, I pray that they will do that, uh, that you will continue to work in their hearts and move in them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.